the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Did you notice in our second reading how Paul has this list of things he doesn't want you to do, but only one word to describe what he does want you to do? It's sort of like there are lots of ways to get into trouble and not so many ways to stay out of trouble. Here's that list if you didn't catch it. Paul wants us to stay away from reveling, drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness. Anyone know what licentiousness is? <laughs> not by experience, I'm not asking by experience. <laughs> Quarreling, jealousy. Stay away from these things. I kind of want to ask Paul, what about a little bit of reveling? Can we not have a little bit of reveling? You know, it's things like this that make Billy Joel write that song, Only the Good Die Young. Remember that? I'd rather laugh at the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. And Paul leaves us with, instead, love. Love. Great. I don't know about you, but that word love sometimes falls really flat for me. It's a word that, even though we use it so much in church, it sort of loses its meaning. It becomes a bit empty. We say God is love. You know, we say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We say, and even in that reading today, and this comes up in a marriage service as well, love is the fulfilling of the law. And yet, sometimes, I just think we say love to sort of fill in when we don't know what else to say. And it might be a problem of the English language. In other languages, there are a lot of words to convey what we in English mean by love. So, in English, we have this incredible phenomenon where we can say, and I'm borrowing from Rob Bell here, I love my wife, and I love tacos. <laughs> right? Maybe we're asking the word love to do a bit too much. Maybe it's trying to work a bit too hard. And it doesn't help when you've got Hallmark cards and now Hallmark movies that give us a picture of love that, for me, sometimes is a bit soft and sentimental. But of course, anyone who has loved and who has loved another person over a long time in any relational context knows that at some point, love gets hard. It becomes hard work to love someone, especially over the long haul. So Paul will say something to qualify what he means by love. And to be honest, even what he says doesn't inspire me. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. I feel like that is setting the bar really low, right? If love is doing no wrong to a neighbor, great. I'm an introvert. I'll stay at home, have nothing to do with anyone, and there you go, I have fulfilled the law. I have loved the way Paul is asking us to. One of the things I really appreciate about the golden rule, remember when Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is that he phrases it in the positive, not the negative. He doesn't say, don't do to others what you 
don't want them to do to you, even though that's the way I mostly use it with my kids. <laughs> Stop doing that. But he said it in a more demanding way. What would you like to have done for you? Go and do that. So reach out to a friend. Um, you know, go out of your way to show some act of kindness or service that is unexpected. So I've sort of written off today's teaching from Paul about love as doing no wrong to a neighbor. It just doesn't inspire. But I couldn't preach on the Gospel reading because I preached on that a few months ago, and I wasn't going to preach on the Exodus reading because that's just too bloody. <laughs> so I came back to this teaching from Paul over and over again. Okay, there's something here. What is it that's here? And I was surprised, after reflecting on this for a few days, because I think of myself as a pretty good person, I, I suspect many of you think of yourselves as pretty good people. Paul refers back to the Ten Commandments. You know, I don't think most of us are out there stealing or murdering. But we do live in a complex world, and I'm not always aware of how my choices are impacting my neighbors, especially my neighbors that I don't know and can't see. Paul can come up with a lot of words for the bad stuff in his day. And I wonder what sort of words Paul would use if he were writing today in a world with a global economy. There are all kinds of ways that probably Paul couldn't imagine that we can harm our neighbor and be completely blissfully ignorant of. So I got to thinking, what are some of the effects of my consumer and lifestyle choices? The shirt I'm wearing today was made in Cambodia. The people who made it, were they overworked? Were they underpaid? Were they put in unnecessary danger or subjected to dehumanizing treatment? Should I be paying more for clothes that are made by people who are treated better? Or the banana I had for breakfast, where did it come from? Was the person who grew it fairly compensated for it? Am I getting nice cheap bananas off of someone's hard labor? What about the environmental impact of my comfortable North American life? Who's paying for it as oceanic communities face rising tides? Maybe loving my neighbor by doing no wrong means doing an audit of my spending habits and asking how other people are impacted by my choices. Do I need to make some changes so that I'm not wronging a neighbor? Of course, there are many ways that we can wrong others without realizing it, with our words and actions. One of the professional hazards of my line of work is I get up in front of people and talk regularly. There's a very good chance that I will say something or fail to say something that will cause offense to someone, and probably for good reason. I might not have meant to, but in my ignorance, I can, I can do damage with my words. We live in a world where racism and sexism and all other sorts of isms have penetrated our society and get into our being and come out in ways that we are completely oblivious to. Okay, this is heavy stuff. Who would have thought love would take us to such a heavy place? Let's end with Jesus. Jesus very helpfully gives us a way to deal with these sorts of offenses. 
He gives us this teaching about how we are reconciled, how we find forgiveness. He says, if someone offends you, someone sins against you, is the language he uses, go to them, talk to them directly, one-on-one. -on -one. Really good teaching for any community, but especially for a church, a nice value. We talk to people, not about them, right? Go talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. If you can't find some reconciliation, bring someone else in that you trust. Bring them into the conversation. If that doesn't bring it anywhere, bring it before the whole church. And if that doesn't take care of things, just consider them a Gentile tax collector. <laughs> I won't go into unpacking that completely. But the teaching really is always geared towards reconciliation, isn't it? It's not geared towards excommunication. Right? It's geared towards the, the transforming of the person who has offended. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about salvation as a liberation, right? And we who can be offenders also need to be liberated, we need to be healed, saved. Um, part of what God wants to do in the setting of all things, right, is to set things right in our own hearts. So if I'm offended against you, come and talk to me about it so that I can do better, right? That's what Jesus' teaching is really about is helping us in community to become more fully the people we're called to be, so that we can love the way we're called to love, by doing no harm. Jesus isn't interested in shaming us, or blaming us, or holding us over us, but to helping us become the people we're called to be. People who love. People who love when it's tough. People who love in gritty ways, and people who have the humility to see when they haven't, and to be changed. Thanks be to God.